0: for those of you that are just tuning in uh, I'd like to give our first guest the proper introduction from his 1963 television appearance on the Jackie Gleason show to his recent sold out concert performances he continues to enthrall standing room only audiences with his lovable com- comedic anger for nearly four decades he's appeared on many stages from comedy clubs to major theaters including the legendary Copacabana the Westbury Music Theater just around right. right the block
1: from us and either- around the block must be Smithtown Theater for the Performing Arts. Which he'll be
0: in April, exactly. Trump Castle, Caesars Palace, the MGM Grand Hotel, and Trop World. Throughout his long and lucrative career, he has shared the stage with such superstars as Jerry Lewis, Tony Bennett, Tom Jones, Paul Anka, Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, Engelbert Humperdinck, Sammy Davis Jr., and the list goes on and on. His humor also reaches a talk show audience with his recurring and always successful appearances on The Howard Stern Show, Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, and The Late Show with David Letterman. His impeccable timing, comedic genius, and commanding stage presence will always leave his sold-out audience roaring. It's our pleasure to welcome a comedy legend, Pasquale Caputo, better known as Pat Cooper. Welcome, Pat.
2: Mark, thank you for having me. How are you doing, buddy?
0: We're doing great. AJ is very excited, too, because he's seen you many times in concert, as have I. Let's talk a little bit about your new book, which is entitled, How Dare You Say How Dare Me?, which is your autobiography, and I can just hear you saying that, too. Um, many of us that have seen Pat Cooper perform would be hard-pressed to believe that in your family structure, you lived in the shadow of your sisters. You, but you talk about it at length, about how your parents were always focused on your sisters and not impressed with your talents early on. My favorite line was your dad's reaction to your school teachers, Mrs. Tannenbaum's assessment of you and how you had electricity. Could you tell our audience what your dad's reaction to that was?
2: Well, you know what it is. Uh, years ago, they, uh, they went for what the girls were doing. They satisfied them. What I was doing was considered erratic from an Italian family. You had no sense of humor. You went to work, and that was what you did. You paid your bills, and you're a man. That's what you do. But for a woman, they treated her. You know, she's going to become a mother someday. So that's what my father would say. You got to treat him. You know, one day she's going to become a mama. So we got to be a little bit special with her. So I listened with. But every time I try to be funny or try to say something at the table, it was considered disrespectful. <laughs> but that was because years ago, you never heard of a comic being an Italian. That was unheard of.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why they referred to you as the Italian it's, Sam
0: Levinson. We used to going. <laughs> the Italian
2: well, Sam Levinson. I love it. Well, you know, it was some, it, it, such a. Just, you, you, you mentioned Sam Levinson. <laughs> I grew up watching all the comics that were Jewish. And if you studied the DNA of the Jewish culture, that was they were the funniest people on the planet. They were just marvelous. I mean, you talk about Milton Berle, you talk about Henry Youngman, I'm just to name a few the George Bryans and the Jack Benny's. I mean that's their DNA. So when I used to watch them, I saw a certain a certain rhythm that you had to have if you wanted to become successful. You had to be like a jazz player, more or less. I don't see that today. What I see today is one subject each comic makes one subject, and they're you know they're content with it. And it's very very open today. And I'm not against what they say. It's not my concern. But the subject matter today is. Uh, you know, there's no holds bar. You can talk about anything. You can take your clothes off today and walk on a stage and do your humor. And it seems to be okay. Years ago, you said, damn, that's something where I, wouldn't hire you. <laughs> that, because you've got to study where the true comics are. And you've got to study and understand. I went back and tried to look through my culture to see where the comics were. I haven't seen any other than maybe in Burlesque. You might have seen a few Italian comics. But a lot of guys that were around with me, like Jackie Vernon and Pat Henry, never admitted that they were Italian, because they were, we were ashamed, more or less. I broke the barrier because I'm a nervy kid. And I got a break from a Jewish guy called, called Willie Weber, who put me on Jackie Gleason, because he saw something in me that he didn't see in other Italian comics, and I was very fortunate.
0: Now, also, a lot of your comedy comes from real-life situations. You mention in the book, about your family's first telephone, and you write about it, and it's hysterical. I mean, just the the way I, I can hear your voice telling this story. Could you mind retelling our audience about the first telephone in your house?
2: Oh, that's uh, that's <laughs> my father said You know, it was it was like a big event. He says, well, "Guess what? We're going to have a the telephone." And I, oh, my God, we, uh, we had a glass of wine, when, you know, the, 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 the adults, and we all saluted when the phone came in. They, they, they uh, taxed it. And uh, he goes, now I'm going to call up your uncle and your He says, so we're going to say hello, and this is going to be such a wonderful thing. I says, uh, Dad, you can't call him because he don't have a phone. He goes, we have the phone. He don't have to have the phone. We'll have the phone. I said, what are they going to do? You have no number. <laughs> so naturally, I'm going against his, his, his flow. And it, 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 drove him, it drove him crazy. I said, everybody has to have a phone in order for you to talk to them. And he didn't talk to me for a few weeks. Then finally he told my uncle to get in the phone. But he wouldn't admit that I was right. <laughs> you know, but this is, this is what you did. Not that they were stupid. They just uh, a phone. They thought you could call anybody. You just have the phone home. It's ridiculous. But uh, I showed maybe that I knew something that they thought they should have known. And maybe I embarrassed them. Had my sister said something, they would have dropped everything and said, okay, we'll call your uncle and make sure he gets a phone. <laughs> because that's the way they work. That's the way it is. And, you, you know, you listen, I was around the neighborhoods with Italian, the, the the son was the God. He was God. Even if he went to jail, he was God. <laughs> you know, there was an Italian woman who went to the church she said, please don't kill him, my son. He said, but the boy, please don't kill him. Kill me because I made him. Now, so, you know, that's, that's a mucker
0: Now, through your love of movies, you began to do impersonations. However, you didn't have an audience on which to try them out. As your parents weren't interested at all, you know, he had visions of you being a seventh-generation bricklayer, so you honed your craft at some fairly unorthodox places. Can you share some of those venues that you would try out your impersonations? I, uh,
2: you know, you taking me back, it said, uh, I was the worst bricklayer, Mark. I had no right being in construction. That's like give me a hand grenade without the pen. And I was around for 12 years, but I got my education being funny because I was a naturally funny kid driving a cab because I entertained the people that were sitting in the back. People said, shit, you ought to be a comedian. I said, well, I'm driving a cab. I can't afford the pay chances. I got to go to work and do my job. I was a scared. And when I tried to do a little comedy, sneak away, if they saw me, they said there's something wrong with this guy. When I beat my sister in a language show, my father-mother wanted to kill me. I mean, she's saying, "Alva Maria, could have hit a pin drop in the theater. I went out there, did impressions of the big bands in those days. I won the prize, which was $25. My sister got the second prize, which was, which was a watch. And my mother hit me over the head with the flowers. <laughs> so, so I started to get used to saying, well, I guess uh, I just got to be what I am. And then I separated. You know, my, my my stint in the army, and, uh, uh, and then when I come out of the army, which was 115 days, my mother got mad. Every mother was happy that they saw me get out of the army. My mother got mad because she couldn't get the $21 a month anymore. <laughs> so I said to myself, you people are nuts. She goes, only you can get out of the army. Everybody else has to go to Korea, you've got to stay home after 115 days. I said, I had hammerhead toes. What do I know about hammerhead toes?
0: Now, the, the irony of your military career is actually that when you wanted to go into the military, they wouldn't take you, and when you didn't want to go is when they took you, correct?
2: Listen to me. I didn't belong in the army. I didn't belong in anything, but I tried to volunteer for every service they turned me down. Then when they volunteered, oh, then when they drafted me, I got insulted. <laughs> I said, how can you do this when you turn me down? I want to go and serve my country the way I want to serve my country. And they all thought there was something mentally wrong with me. My father thought there was something mentally wrong with me. My mother thought there was something mentally wrong with me. Until I walked out with, with, with a general discharge. <laughs> and every mother, in the, every mother in the neighborhood said, how could you get him? Can you get my son out? They thought I was going to open an agency. <laughs> well,
0: now, you get, as you mentioned, you got your big break on the Jackie Gleason <clears throat> show, doing a routine now. called The
2: Italian Wedding. You know, no one ever thought I could do that that particular year, 1963, to do something about Italian. In fact, believe it or not, the anti-defamation league wanted a solely When I put out an album, they said I'm making fun of, of, of our culture. I said, no, I'm showing sure people in the world that we have a sense of humor. What's wrong with you people? I said, how can we get to our Capone's life story 20 times? I do something wonderful and, and funny, and I'm a bum. I didn't understand it at all. So I went against the grain. I said, Well, I'm going to stay with this. And then, and when the, and Jackie Greaser gave me the chance, it opened the doors for me. Otherwise, I'd still get creamy fish.
0: <laughs> now, you also mentioned, and we alluded to a little yeah. bit before, the differences between Italian and, and Jewish comedians. Um, you described the difference in the way the two children are perceived growing up. And you state that, like, if a, a young Jewish kid says something cute at the table. The father would say, wow, the next Milton Berle. But
2: if you said something cute at the table, well, what that's would... the truth. That's the truth. If I said something funny, they'd say, you're out of order, disrespect. <laughs> a Jewish kid says something funny. I'm not a Milton Berle. I'm not a Fat Jacky Leonard. I'm not a Hannah Young. Because it's, in, it's, in, it's deep in their DNA. It's wonderful to laugh. I say this, you know, during the Holocaust and all that, many Jews were saved because of the laughter to keep them sanity. I mean, God, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's the truth. They're in show business. It's in their blood. I mean, people say, well, oh, the Jewish people control they control show business. I said, don't worry about who's control. Why don't you learn from them? I learned from them when I found out about a comedic flow, when I found out that they're trying to be different. Don't, don't steal material. Try to have your own persona. And that's what I did. And I got very, very, very lucky. And then I went another direction. I stopped protecting my dignity when I started working with some of the biggest stars who tried to step on me, and I wouldn't allow them to do that. And naturally, that held my career back. But it didn't matter. It's important that my dignity survived because I had to look myself in the mirror. And I said, no money's worth taking my dignity. No money. And uh, I'm still around. I'll be 82 in July. So I must be making the right decisions, and that's where I'm at now.
1: How how have over the years... Your audience has changed. You're still doing it. You're 82. You still go out there. You're finding the same people coming back to see you time and again. Or is there a whole new well, generation of people who are learning about Pat Cooper?
2: Listen to me. I am one of a kind. I am just who I am. I'm not like anyone else in the show business. I still got my my, my way. I have a great ad libability. I'm still bringing in people. I mean, we have a trouble in this country. But people want to laugh. And if you see, uh, every television, there's more laugh shows on. People want to laugh. And I think that's healthy. Laughter is healthy. And you know, today we got sections of comedy that we didn't have years ago. Now you got sections of, uh, uh, maybe a dirtier comic, a lighter comic, a guy that talks about politics. Years ago, they talked about everything. And if you interrupted them, they did you 20 minutes on your head. I never saw anybody than Milton Berle on. I went to the Roxy Theater, he walked out of there, there had to be a 1,200 people in there, he tore the joint down for 25 minutes. And then I stood for the second show, he did a completely different second show. I mean, dude, this, is, this is their blood. You know, and you learn from that. You know, this isn't to be ashamed, shimmy, be angry, be jealous of anybody. You learn from that. And I'm not the smartest guy. Listen, I got one week high school, I didn't go that week. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what that's what it's
0: all about. Now, you also, you, you spent a lot of time up in the Catskills. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, the Catskills were known affectionately as the Borscht Belt. Um, right. You're no stranger to that circuit. AJ, I'm sure, nice. spent many, time many times as, as well as I did. In fact, I remember vividly a routine you did at the Concord about your first cigarette in the bathroom and, and your father I'll never right. forget that I, I mean what are some of your fondest memories of performing in the Catskills made my main
2: excuse me my main concern was not getting into Jewish shtick for the people who don't know what I'm saying is to get a yeah. flow of a yeah. Jewish comedian I had to be an Italian I had to go to, the, to, to work to the Jewish culture and I knew I have no problem if I only like, get the break. I worked the bungalow colonies, which were the toughest up in the Catskills. Sure, we talk about the Concord. We talk about all the greatest uh, the hotels up there. I'm talking bungalow colonies, That's getting bungalow $20, out. getting $20, and if you weren't good, they threw you out the window. <laughs> they had no time for nonsense. And I worked my way to the, to the Raleigh, and I worked my way to the Concord, and I worked my way to, the, to, the, to the, all, all the nice places. But you pay your dues. And if you don't pay your dues, you're kidding yourself.
1: You know, these days, I think there's a different type of way comedians pay dues. If they still pay dues, I don't think they do it the same way. How has, one of the things changed from 1962 to now, are comedy clubs. And they're all over the place. And, and comedians go out, they get you know, whatever paid, not paid. How has the existence of comedy clubs changed comedy?
2: Because everybody in the world thinks they could be a comic. I go to the dentist. He wants to do five minutes of jokes. I said, stop with the drill, put the drill down, and I'll eat it. But you don't belong in my business. You dent, I come eat. <laughs> I go to the butcher, he's going to tell me a story. I said, come here for jokes. Cut them meat and stop aggravating me. Because comedy is a vicious, tough business. And the worst thing is to stand up there and nobody laugh. And a lot of them don't know when to go home. That's the danger. I said, through comics, and I'm saying, I'm making, I'm making a It, Please, God, let this guy get out of there. He's, he's, he's just not good. And I do the roast, the Friars' roast. I close every Friars' roast. I don't have a piece of paper. I had lived every Friars' roast that I went on. And I'm not putting any, any comics down for having writers. But if you're not ready to work on that roast, you shouldn't go on it. So a lot of these kids, I'm going to go to fryer's roast. They don't go wrong. Milton no, Ball stopped a couple of them. He says, "Son, you didn't do your homework. Get off the <laughs> dais. This is big time, my friend. This is all big stars. I mean, George Burns, Steve Martin, Sinatra. You're not going to talk about Perry Winkle. And some of these kids get up and go, "What the hell they doing? You know, they're telling you they can fly a plane when I don't That's wrong."
0: You mentioned all these great comics. If you, had, if you had to pick one person that would be the ultimate. Funniest comedian you've ever seen in your life? Who would it be?
2: I tell you, one guy that never got accolades—a guy called Guy Marks. I thought he was one of the best. He was on a couple of TV shows, and he was wonderful and marvelous. But he never really made—you know—made a big, big name because he would rather play the horses. <laughs> but he was wonderful, and he was spontaneous, and he was just just had a great act. And uh, and uh, you know, a lot of these guys really never made it. A lot of them never made it, they should have made it, because they didn't stick to a business, they got lazy, they met a girl, or they gambled, and they just stepped out of the, uh, out of the life. I never left the life, because comedy is a 24 hour day business. You can't take chances to take the money and say, let me take the money and run. If you start to do that, you're a fool and you're not a nice person, and you never take the money. I have people say, why don't you take the door? I said I got plenty of doors and chairs. I don't take the door. I don't want to work with it with, with an owner and become his partner. If he pays me, fine. If not, no hard feelings. I don't do the job. I got no time to sit around and say take the door. All of a sudden become the guy's partner. That's ridiculous.
0: Now, one other thing we've had in the past we've had other comedians on, and we brought this subject up. The fact that you know there's something innate about a comedian that He puts himself out there. But in the same respect, so many comedians have led troubled lives, whether it be Freddie Prinz, whether there's so many of them that have actually taken their life or, you know, had drug
2: problems which It saved them. It saved their life. If they didn't have a sense of humor, they might have just something tragic. A lot of I think ninety percent of the Jewish comics that I would read up on, they had problems when they were kids. I've had problems you know, because my, because I was an Italian, you're not supposed to be funny being an Italian. If you sang off TV, they screamed out another Caruso. So you were, you know, you were, were bunch you were paint in the corner, you had to live their life. But a lot of these Jewish guys, I mean, Jan Murray's and Red Buttons and all these great guys and Phil Silvers, they all had problems growing up on the East side. I mean, we don't talk about, you know, they don't talk about all well, the Jewish people that got money. They don't talk about the tragedies. They don't talk about growing up in Brooklyn or the Bronx or Queens. you got to talk about those things. These guys, they, they went across and, 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 and became something. I mean, Sid Caesar even tells it many times. He's one of the greatest, one of the most brilliant about his tough life. But he turned around and became one of the top. The kids today don't even know that Sid Caesar exists. The kids today look a little and hard to go, gee, that's so silly. <laughs> you talk about George Burns. They go, well, I don't know, what is he talking about? They don't get it because they're not into 100% humor, 100% comedy. It comes from all kinds of directions. They don't have the patience. They don't have the patience to study an art. That's one of the greatest and most dangerous arts in show business is comedy, to stand up there and do an hour, hour and a half. I call that brilliance. That's tough, but a lot of these kids, they go up and they read it off of, piece of paper because they can't remember two, 20 minutes. But this is another business today. I'll give you another thing. They're all writing books. They don't have a life. Why would you write a book if you don't have a life? The reason I wrote a book, I, was, I wasn't even interested. I didn't want to do it. But then I see a lot of these guys writing books. wait a minute, They got no story. I'm going to write a book because I got a story and I put out a book and it's been going good, thank God. I'm that in it for money because I never got an advance. I told that guy, i published publish my book. I just want to get it on the best times if, 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 if that's possible. And that's all I was concerned. I of people to say, you know something? He left the planet, but he wrote a hell of a book. And that's what I wanted to do.
0: And, and the book also tells about a lot of things that you've also done that people might not know about. I mean, the fact that you were actually in this TV series that, you know, in the 80s, you showed up a lot on television, first of all. You'd be in series like Vegas, Charlie's Angels, many game shows. Uh, And then you were part of this interesting situation comedy called The Son-in-Law. And and I find that kind of stuff fascinating, the fact that when we had David Brenner on, he was in this sitcom that was actually advertised in the fall preview of TV Guide and never made it to air. And and you had a similar situation with The Son-in-Law. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that?
2: Well, you know, that's... um, (laughs) You're talking about... uh, I think you're talking about uh, the star of that show is Johnny Yoon. If I'm correct.
0: Am I correct? Yes, yes. The Korean.
2: He was a Korean, a wonderful guy. He was funny as a block of (laughs) salt. He had no right doing stand up. He was basically a singer, but he got a guy, a manager came over and said, gee, you know, I'm a Korean comic. That's something different. We got black comics, Italian comics. We never had a Korean comic. You know, then we got Chinese comics. He said, let's, you know, so his biggest joke was, hello. And he kept saying, hello. How many times do you and say, hello? But someone said, listen, let's put him in a series. And I did the series with him. And I played his father-in-law, if I'm not mistaken. He married my daughter. And it was going to be a big thing, but he got crazy because he thought I had more laughs, which is ridiculous. You don't worry about who got the laughs. Worry about that the show is a success. And if it's a success, they're going to say Johnny Young's show. But he got all crazy. And what did he do? We had to a do-over-a-scene. I had to go back to California, what happened, the thing went dead, nobody heard of Johnny U no more, because they got all oh, nuts, oh I got a series, I got to be a millionaire, they went nuts, they do not sit down and say, where am I going, am I strong enough, what's the difference, Mary Tyler Moore surrounded herself with talent, that's why she's a talent, don't be afraid of your competitors there, that's ridiculous, it helps the show. The more you put on the show that are funny, the more the people are going to love it. And they'll always call it your show. All in the family. All of them were brilliant. Right. All of them. Yeah. What's wrong with sharing comedy and stories? It's wonderful. But there's a lot of jealousy, and you got to fight that also. It's, you know, you talked
1: you talk before about the roasts, and a lot of people remember you from doing the roasts. And as it became televised regularly, Of course they started actually as real events at the Friars Club, Uh, How different were the roasts that, the, the quote, the real roasts as opposed to the ones that were done for television?
2: Well, the Dean Martin roast is one thing. It's a good roast, a funny roast, because of all the big stars. People sat there and said it was wonderful, and Dean was special. But the roasts I do at the Friars, they were the special roast. No one can can, can, can say that's not true. I mean, we roasted some of the biggest stars, and we... I mean, we destroy some of them with love, and it's an honor to be honored by the friars. I, they honored me at the uh, Hilton. I was I was flabbergasted. I, I was honored to be torn apart by your by by your friends. It's wonderful, and it's a tough thing to do. So there's you are. And I tell you again, not to repeat myself. I'm gifted. I close every one of them. I said things that people said. I mean, why did you say that for? Because it's funny. Because I have a funny mind. I'll give you an idea. We roast to Richard Pryor. He's sitting in a wheelchair. The place is jammed. I'm closing that show. I got up I said, Richard, let me ask you a question. When are you going to die, for crying out loud? You burn yourself, you smoke the weed, you give yourself needles. I said, Italians, we eat macaroni past gas, and we die. The place screamed. Because they knew it wasn't done to be hateful. It's comedy. That's what we do at the roasts.
0: But you mentioned something before about the new generation of comics. But, but let's say... They can't
2: it. do it. They can't do it. Because but, they don't have the flow, and they don't understand what the roast is about. They think the roast is about cursing at the guy or girl that you're roasting. That's not it. What it's about is say something. Pick out something, like the Richard Pryor thing. His comedy, he screamed because he knows I didn't mean it to hurt it. That was what we do at the afternoon roast. And you can't find that anywhere else in the world. That's what you do. I roasted all of them. I mean, you, you, you pick on something that they, uh, you know, like the calorie we roasted. I said, sure, no disrespect. Where did you come from? I'm funny. Where did you come from? I mean, you know, more or less bring them down with tongue in cheek. And it was the biggest one ever. You know, I mean, there were so many things. I wish you could get a copy of all of them. Uh, I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing. I'm surprised that that home box on Showtime didn't pick that up. Because, you know, on those kind of shows, you can say anything.
0: Well, here's what I find very interesting, is that you've now been exposed to an entire new generation of fans uh, due to your many appearances on either Howard Stern, Bob Grant, Opie and Anthony, and the Jay Thomas show. What I find interesting is that you appeal to so many generations, whereas maybe, uh, and you know, I'm 50, so your era, Don Rickles, you know, all those still appeal to me. But for a kid like 21, 22, you still appeal to them, while maybe a Don Rickles doesn't.
2: Why do you think? Well, Don Rickles, Jackie Mason, and yours truly, I think, with the last of that era. If I'm not mistaken. I I mean, you're talking about uh, 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 Don Rickles. He's a comedic giant, right? I mean, uh, you know, Jackie Mason's a comedic giant. You know, I'm not. I don't consider myself in that. In that, you know, with that group,
0: and and Joan Rivers as well. Probably, you could probably. You know, I
2: mean, Don Rickles had one of the greatest comedic careers. Wonderful man, an improviser, a man that that broke down barriers. The same with George Carlin. I don't see these kind of guys no more. All I see is guys crazy, who curses more, who talks more about sex, or who goes crazy about politics. All right, there are people who like that. That's fine. Then they got the comic who only goes to the gay people. I mean, that's an insult. Why do you, why do you separate the gay people from other human beings? Like, what's the matter with you people out there? This is, the, this is a wonderful thing to be whoever you are. But now they say, well, I just got a guy. I only work for the gay crowd. What the hell is you? You're not helping the gay community. You're hurting their feelings. You don't do that. You just go out there and if there's all gays, you don't say, I'm here because I like the gay community. That's a lot of baloney. That's a lot of baloney. A lot of that goes on today. A lot of these people will say, well, the reason he or she is great is she only works in a great community. So there's your answer. Or they say the worst, dirtiest stories in the world. But there is an audience for that, and it, it pays money. And as long as there's money, there's
0: no more dignity. Well, it's interesting when you say money, because so many of them, you know, start out as comedians and then move on to different areas. Like, like I guess in the 80s, uh, the guys that come to mind are the Eddie Murphys, who I saw do stand-up, but then write to the wow. film, and then to regular major motion pictures. Wow. Another guy who's, who, you know, well, and comedy is-, is hard, so I don't, okay. I don't mean any disrespect to him, but Andrew Dice Clay... You know, these guys are, you know, one shot wonders and then disappear. When we talk about your generation of comedians, you know, they have this lasting impact and, and cross over multi-generations. So what I'm really trying to get is why do you think that is? What what is
2: Andrew it? Dice Clay has to thank Rodney Dangerfield. Andrew Dice Clay was packing arenas. He no longer packs arenas. Because I think Andrew J. He never changed, never changed a word. He made a movie; it wasn't a great movie. And I just think he got of Days, because in a comedy, you can't afford to do that. And the kind of money he was making, he could have got probably the greatest writers in the world. But now it got so bad that the audience was was yelling at the punchlines. You can't do that. And now he's looking he for 300 seats. If anybody heard of him anymore, and I'm not putting him down. He didn't take care of his business. What happens is a young guy, you know, and the girls and the guy, the white woman and so on, you've got to take care of your business. This is a tough, tough business. This is like going into the ring, fighting for the title, and you're never trained. You don't do that.
0: In closing then, I'm just going to ask you, if you had to pick your favorite Pat Cooper routine, what would
2: it be? Oh, my God, I have... Well, the Italian wedding opened the door for me, and I got a lot of things on records right now. You hit me with a with a, with a torpedo. <laughs> I I think some of the stuff I'm doing today, I talk about I talk about uh, uh, you know myself. I talk about my mistakes. I put myself down in comedy, but as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm more or less telling the audience that you know even with my mistakes, I can get last. And if you make a mistake out there, the, the trick is live with your mistakes. And never to repeat the same ones twice. So I go on. People say, i come you to do the thing about the shoe. i come you did do the thing about the fire escape. I come in. You know, I like to change because even I get bored of hearing myself.
0: <laughs> you got it. Okay. Mr. Cooper, it's been a pleasure for me, Mark, and AJ. Right. We, we are we looking talk. forward, actually, to seeing you because you're actually playing in Smithtown, yeah. which is down the block oh, from us oh. in April. So it's AJ 17th. and I are definitely going to be there April 17th, 17th. Uh, 3 p.m. At the Smithtown, Smithtown Center, Center for Performing, performing arts. arts. So we're looking forward to this. And the book,
1: sp- Pat Cooper, How Dare You Say, How Dare Me. <laughs> and uh, you can get that uh, anywhere.
0: You can get that anywhere.
1: Thank you so yeah, much, thank Mr. You.
2: Cooper. I love you and I thank you.